This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. on 3CR with James. On today's show, Alastair Laurie joins us to talk about religious discrimination. We also speak with dancer and choreographer Jonathan Holmesy about his new show. And later, Sarah White from Quit Victoria joins us. You're listening to 3CR Radio. In Your Face would like to thank Thornhubber Health for their financial support of this program. Thornhubber Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities. A future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more about them, search Thornhubber Health on your search engine or find them on Facebook. We're joined by LGBTIQ policy expert and blogger Alastair Laurie. Alastair, welcome back to the program. Thanks very much for having me. It's really great to have you back on the show, Alastair. You recently wrote in your blog about the growing list of problems with the federal government's proposed religious discrimination agenda. Which problems concern you the most and why? I guess it's a case of where to begin. Uh, It is a long list. So I guess the most important part is to say that the religious discrimination bill is radical. It is unprecedented. It will override essential anti-discrimination protections for a wide range of Australians, from women, LGBTI people, single parents, de facto divorced people and people with disability. And on that basis, it should be rejected. From my point of view, there are four main problems. The first is Section 41, Statements of Belief, which basically will exempt statements of belief from all Commonwealth, state and territory anti-discrimination law, from Section 17.1, of the Tasmanian Anti-Discrimination Act specifically, and from any future act that the Attorney-General prescribes by regulation. So what this will do will make everyday comments that would otherwise be considered discrimination lawful. Then there's Sections 8, 5 and 6, which allow for conscientious objections in the delivery of health services. And these exceptions are incredibly broad, so they cover services like optometry or podiatry, which can't possibly be considered controversial. So it seems to be allowing health professionals to refuse to serve entire classes of people. The third provision of major problem is sections 8, 3 and 4, and those are the Falau clauses, which will make it very difficult for big business to be able to impose employer conduct rules outside of work hours. Um, So you could see the situation where a big business participates in Mardi Gras to demonstrate that they support the LGBTI community while at the same time an executive 
tweets that homosexuality is an abomination, and as long as that's based on their religious belief, there might be very little that the organisation can do about it. And then finally, there's Section 10, which is a general exception for religious organisations, which is incredibly broad, applies to religious schools, charities and other bodies, and its application is actually extensive. So, for example, it could allow a religious school to expel a student merely for saying that they were agnostic or atheist. To what extent does it attack states' rights? It seems like it's a real attack on their sovereignty. Absolutely, and I think that's one of the fascinating things of the debate so far is that we haven't heard much from the states and territories when, in fact, they have a lot at stake in this. Traditionally, anti-discrimination law has been seen to be concurrent and complementary, so you have state and territory laws and Commonwealth laws and they operate quite happily alongside each other. This is really the first time where a Commonwealth bill, uh, if it was introduced, would directly attack anti-discrimination rights at state and territory level, particularly in Tasmania with Section 17.1 of the Act, but in all the other states and territories. And what I've been waiting for, and I guess what there, there should be pressure on, the governments of Gladys Berejiklian, Daniel Andrews and Anastasia Palaszczuk and others to actually stand up to the Commonwealth governments and say, you, you shouldn't be undermining our anti-discrimination laws. You shouldn't be undermining the rights of the people in our states and territories. I'm glad you mentioned Daniel Andrews. Of course, he's committed to banning conversion therapy in Victoria. It seems like this legislation, if passed, federally could undermine that. Well, it certainly has a range of potential implications. So if the statement of belief is that homosexuality is a perversion and that people should repent and change their sexual orientation, then that would be protected under Section 41. It also has potential uh, application under the conscientious objection clauses in 8, 5 and 6, and even in the registration uh, of health profession professionals uh, elsewhere. So certainly attempts to outlaw conversion therapy um, it could have implications. And there's also implications potentially for Fiona Patton's bill to introduce much-needed vilification protections for LGBTI people and others in Victoria as well because the Attorney-General could prescribe that bill uh, or that law if it's passed under Section 41 as well to undermine it. I was reading on your blog that this legislation sets traps for future reforms that could undermine state-based anti-discrimination law without it going through the Parliament, just on government regulations. Absolutely. So, as I said, Section 41 Statements of Belief, it sets out that it won't be discrimination under uh, Commonwealth, State and Territory anti-discrimination law, and that it specifically targets 17.1 of the uh, the Tasmanian Act. But 41.1c then says that the Attorney-General can prescribe other laws that will be affected in the future, and it's actually much more difficult for the Senate to disallow regulations like that. So, for example, if they're trying to pass this legislation, it takes 38 votes to block the bill if it, if it comes to that vote. But if it passes and then the Attorney-General seeks to prescribe new, new laws under that power in future, you actually need 39 votes. And it's going to be much more difficult to see where a 39th vote comes uh, in the current Parliament. It seems extraordinary that such radical reform wasn't taken to the Australian people at the May election, only just a few months ago, really. Uh, well, that's, I mean, that's where it gets complicated because the Attorney-General and the Commonwealth Government did announce in December that they would put forward a religious discrimination bill. And if that is what they would have done, then we would have welcomed it. So, for example, in Commonwealth New South Wales and South Australian law, religious belief is currently not protected in anti-discrimination law, and it should be. Unfortunately, what the Attorney 
course, the Prime Minister did say pre-election that he would protect LGBTIQ students from discrimination at religious schools. Where's that promise at? It seems a bit hollow now. So the, the process for that now is that the Law Reform Commission is still looking into religious exceptions. That process has been delayed until after the Religious Discrimination Bill is passed. So they won't release an issues paper until early next year and then not to report until December 2020. Realistically, that means that any legislation passed as a result of that will probably be second half of 2021. Uh, So you're talking about students. Best case scenario, LGBT students being protected in 2022 when Scott Morrison promised in October last year that students would be protected by the end of last year. So more than three years delay, and that's the best case scenario. It's amazing, isn't it? Do you think that that commitment that he made, which has been disproved, do you think that was because of the Wentworth by-election and wanting to appeal to voters there? I think it was because of the the genuine public backlash to the linking of the Radic Review recommendations, where people, ordinary Australians, or as the Prime Minister might like to call them, quiet Australians, were shocked to learn that religious schools, publicly funded, could expel, discriminate, otherwise mistreat LGBT students just because of who they are. Now, we've seen that that has dropped from the list of the government's priorities and that they've pushed it off well into the future and have focused much more on the Religious Discrimination Bill. Uh, It's up to us and members of the public to put the pressure back on and say, actually, 2022 is not good enough. Where is Anthony Albanese and Federal Labor at regarding their response to the government's proposal and how would you rate their response? Well, I think that's one of the big unknowns at the moment is what the federal opposition will do uh, on this bill. It, it's, it's unclear to me as uh, somebody who's been trying to pay attention and it's really a big, it's, it's a fundamental question for them. One of the best things that they did when they were last in government in 2013 was pass the Sex Discrimination Amendment Sexual Orientation, Gender Identity and Intersex Status Act, which finally protected LGBTI people in Commonwealth anti-discrimination law, it would be a terrible development if six years later they voted for legislation which fundamentally undermined those rights to anti-discrimination. So that's a real test for them. But it's not just them that this bill is a test for. It's also a test for LGBTI members and allies within the government. So where's Trent Zimmerman, Trevor Evans... Tim Wilson, Dean Smith, Angie Bell, Warren Ench and Andrew Bragg on this, are they going to vote for a government bill that would fundamentally undermine the rights of LGBTI Australians? Yes, they've been very quiet, haven't they? What are they saying to lobby groups like Equality Australia or are they kind of hiding under a rock at the moment? Uh, look, I, I, I can only go on what they're saying publicly, which I think, as you just said, is, is very little. I think, again, the pressure should be on the ALP opposition and it should be on other uh, people in the parliament who say that they support LGBTI rights to make it clear that they won't support the bill if it means increasing discrimination of, uh, against those groups. LSDA, thank you so much for joining me today on 3CR. It's always great to talk to you. Thanks very much again. Cheers.
rate there. Let's keep it between us. You're on In Your Face on 3CR with James, joined by dancer and choreographer Jonathan Holmesy. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's so good having you back. I think it was March of last year that you came on talking about MX Red. Now you've got a new show for the Emerge in Yarra Festival here in Fitzroy Collingwood later this month. Tell us all about it. Yeah, well, a part of Merge in the Yara, it's curated by Andy Butler, who's an amazing um, queer person of color um, curator um, based on the north side. And we're going to be at Schoolhouse Studios in Circus Oz across two days, um, which is really exciting. All the events are only $10 for marginalized communities as part of Ticket to Solidarity. So it's $10 for allies and free for all those other marginalized communities, which is really exciting. Um, And my work is called Thrice for the Third Culture Kid. I actually was in the alliteration club in high school so I try to do as many alliterations as I can in a title so thrice for the third culture kit is me um I am obviously American if you can't hear from my accent oh America that's another topic and I am from a Syrian and Cantonese background so I'm always kind of reflecting you know my migrant heritage and how that goes against my queerness at times and how we negotiate that um, especially having conservative parents and that whole carry on. Um, and it's a very intimate show. I'm actually doing it with a dear friend, Gala Hallelujah, who is a jazz singer and a medium. And um, my father used to interrupt her, who's passed on, God bless him, um, used to interrupt her. And um, we used to work in the same building. And she came to me one day. And she's like, is this, is this your, your dad's coming to me? And I was like, excuse me? I wasn't really spiritual at that time. And I kind of just caught me very off guard. But she knew my father's full name. She knew my school uniform. It was just things that were like beyond explainable. And you'd never met her before? I, we never met before ever. Then I found out later she is a professional, beautiful jazz singer. And um, I saw this EOI from Merge in the Yara from Multi Courts, Victoria, and I said, you know what, Gala, we're going to do a show. Let's do it. I've always wanted to know more about my ancestors and because um, I have loving parents, but um, my family's estranged. A lot of them, like cousins and grandmothers and such. So the only way I've been able to find out is through my own meditation and getting my own little pieces, getting what I can find on Facebook. I even did the DNA swab. You know, the DNA swabs that you do. That's how I found out I was Syrian because my dad was in the army. So I was able to find all those records. So it's kind of like my artwork's the only way I get to find out about my heritage. So that's kind of what the show's about. I kind of just go on this exploration. It's a very intimate show. It only seats 20 people. We're almost sold out. Um, There's a show at 8 and a show at 10 on Friday, October 18th. So I want to make sure we create an intimate space that's kind of casual because of the subject material, because it could be a bit intense. But also, I create the dance on the spot to whatever Gala gets in her psychic reading. So I know as much about the choreography as you do which is wonderful and also terrifying, which is super exciting. So it's spontaneous dance based on a psychic's readings and what comes up for her in the room. Exactly. Totally. Exactly. So it will change based on the energy in the room. So I've been, I was away in America researching around like the intuitive body and I could totally get into really wanky art choreography, which I love to do, but maybe another day when we're not on the radio. (laughs) But I'm really interested in what is kind of the intuition doing. And you know that gut when you're like, you know you want to cross the road or that gut like, I'm going to turn the radio on now. Like, what is that gut? Um, And I don't know what it is, but I'm really down to explore it and create a safe space for all of us to talk about it. You must be incredibly confident with your dancing abilities to be able to respond spontaneously. I think it's trusting your body. I think a lot of us, the queer community, we keep talking about safe spaces. And I went away to America recently to research safe spaces. And I realized that I had to feel the safe space within myself first, like within my body. And thus, as I feel more trusting in my body, I can actually take more risk. And thus, with my own 
like risk kind of being okay, then I can help others, which is kind of what we all want to do. We want to help all our other queer people. You wrote recently that you're discovering how ancestral trauma manifests in the body and you're dancing it off. Tell us more about that. Well, it's something I don't see my mother often. Have you ever seen The Incredibles, the cartoon? No. Okay, well, there's a woman named Edna Moe. She's, like, really short. I could imagine someone listening right now on the radio giggling. Um, She's this very short um, lady that... um, she wears a trench coat and like a, a unitard and says no capes. Maybe you have to do a little YouTube. I'm not the best describer. But my mom has this very same shoulder injury as I do. And every time I see her, my shoulder hurts more and her shoulder hurts. And I always go, well, this is very strange. And uh, of course, being a Capricorn, I'm such a Capricorn. I'm analyzing the crap out of the situation. And I was like, what? what is this? And maybe there's an ancestral connection in my shoulder. So for example, Gala in the show, she connects to my maternal ancestors and I only dance with my shoulders. So I do have parameters in the show. So I'm not just dancing spontaneously. I have been rehearsing, I promise. <laughs> um, so that's kind of been working with body parts. And my dad had a similar tailbone injury that I have. So there's similar things. You bought maybe your parents had a similar wrist thing and you got the wrist thing. And you're like, Oh, what's this wrist thing? My mom's got it. And my sister's got it. And I got it too. Like, what is this? So that's kind of the, the, idea idea of the ancestral trauma that I'm tapping into. I feel like in our queer world, we discuss trauma a lot. It's a, I don't want to say it's a hot topic. It's not Wendy Williams. How you doing? But, um, (laughs) um, but it's an interesting thing that we keep discussing. So I wanted to see if I could just make a physical version without having a big lecture as a show. Tell us more about the role of the audience. These 20 people who are going to be watching you dance. Um, I imagine the psychic might be picking a few things up from them. Um, Gala is amazing at, I call her the queen of discernment. She's really good at kind of separating whose energy is what. Um, but we really want to make it, it was a small room just because if it was on a big stage, you wouldn't feel that intimate reading. Imagine getting a, a reading at a, like a tarot shop, like on a stage in front of 100 people. That's just not how that energy works. So it needs to be in the round. It needs to be like an intimate space because we are having an intimate experience. I guess for you as well, it's kind of, is it scary that you don't know what's going to come up on the night? I think um, Andrew Morris, who's an amazing improviser, he just talks about there's a difference between improvisation and a badly rehearsed piece. (laughs) And so I think I'm really making sure that this work is improvisation. I'm searching for the content as it's happening because that's the point of the improv. I don't want to do a badly rehearsed piece. And I think there's a a discernment of what what requires rehearsal and what doesn't. And you can't rehearse a psychic reading. So it's that's kind of where I've been really interested in. Like, how do I actually make sure it's spontaneous? But give enough parameters so I know I'm still going to make a good show. I'm doing air quotes radio. Good show. Um, So it's still entertaining and interesting. And even though it's exploring trauma, you don't seem scared about what might come up. You don't seem to mind really personal details being so physically aired to the audience. Well, I think it's, I'm not like, I'm not not playing a little violin. I'm not saying my mother was mean and she told me to get straight A's because I have a Chinese mom. (laughs) That's not what's happening in the show. It's really like, where is the same injury? And let the body do the talking. And Gala will sing. And she might connect. We did a rehearsal and she could actually connect it to um, my dad's sister. Her name's Gloria. And we were doing the mom bin. She kept saying Gloria. And I was like, why are you saying Gloria? And then we both joked. And I looked up and I was like, Dad, I don't know if you can hear me because he's passed on. I was like, you need to let my mom section be my mom section. You need to let my dad's section be my dad's section. So that's really that's really the play. Um, I'm more, I don't want to say laughing at my episodic experiences but i think if we can't laugh at our own upbringing and satirize ourselves a bit then it, then all these shows about um 
queer ideology and race and economic reparations are all going to be really intense. And the world's crazy right now. We do need a bit of lightness. So I want to make sure, even though the show's intense and matter, it still feels very light. And it sounds healing for you. Like it sounds like you're working on those sore bits in the body and finding out why they're the way that they are and then kind of, you know, um, healing. Um, I hope to be healing. As I've been rehearsing it, I sometimes have to do it because I really do have an injured right shoulder. I'll have to practice on the other arm because I've had this tension most of my life. I've actually, I I wish I could show on the radio, but I can probably only turn my head about 40 degrees to the right. And it's been like that since I was born. I see doctors, I get x-rays, and it just doesn't move. So I'm just kind of, it's like body positivity. I'm just accepting my tightness, and I'm just going to do a dance about it. Um, But the show is just going to feel like how Gala and I hang out in the back of her house where she does tarot readings, like her sunroom in West Footscray. It's just going to feel like two friends hanging out, and you get a witness. And I do talk to the audience, so I do keep it a very relaxed environment because the festival is very relaxed. Like I'm in the Sawtooth studio, which is on that um, Johnson Street side when you enter. But at the Spiegel tent, we got Yo, who's an amazing um, Asian artist releasing an album. We got Pookie the next day. There's all these different rap and music acts happening in the same corner. So I think it needs to complement what's happening next door. I can't have a super intense show next to a concert. It's kind of like steak and blueberries. They're both good flavors, but maybe you should have them separately. So it's part of the Emerging Yarra Festival. Tell us about that festival. Well, it's a two-day festival. It's been run by Multicultural Arts Victoria. Wow, that's a tongue twister. Multicultural Arts Victoria. There we go, Johnny. You did it. Um, Inside the city of Yarra for the last 15 years. It used to be kind of a more large-scale festival. And I really like how they've done it. That's compacted. And it's kind of like a little neighborhood. So you can walk from Schoolhouse Studios. You can walk to another show. And... The next day, in regards to this ticket of solidarity, we're actually having a talk about power. That's from 2 to 3 on the Saturday. I will be performing. I'm actually doing a little satirical number on cultural impact because um, we talk about that a lot in the arts. Like, what was the impact? Was there impact? The impact. <laughs> I'm trying to deepen my voice for the impact. But Speaking yeah. of impact, you said that you went to the States and did a lot of research for this. How would you describe just the energy you were picking up on in America? You mentioned things like race before. That must have been a bit of a trip, uh, being exposed to what's going on there. How would you describe it? Well, it's really different for me. I'm 30 now, and I've been in Australia for 10 years. So most of my adulthood's been here. And I lived most as a little kid in Hong Kong and Singapore and Japan. So I have this kind of a skewed perspective on kind of racial politics. Um, And so going to America for research... um, Turtle, Turtle Island before it was colonized was really interesting because obviously I'm a hip hop dancer so I was back with kind of my lineage of African American culture where I learned from um, but also what was more complex to me was actually being home in America while stuff was happening in Hong Kong and I still have family in Hong Kong so actually my more concern is what was happening in Hong Kong while I was overseas and just juggling what was going on but to me what was weird is that there's just in America they just don't get paid enough like, the fact that drag queens get, you know, their tips thrown at them, I find it so strange. I just think, what if we, like, just paid them well in the first place? I understand there's not very minimal funding in America, but that's why I think the Ticket to Solidarity is really interesting, because it came from a response of me seeing all these drag queens getting money thrown at them. I was like, why don't you just make sure they get paid instead? Because then you have to bring cash, but the event's free, so... I think having that sliding scale, if someone can afford to donate $10, then they can. But if they can't, they still have the right to view the show. I think across America and Australia and Asia, we keep thinking like, 
art is a privilege. No, like art is a right. Like radio is a right. Music's a right. Like all of these are rights we have as humans. So we need to just enjoy it. And it's, we all are a bit disappointed that, you know, the arts aren't funded as much, but I think stuff like multicultural arts Victoria are doing with the sliding scales to make sure everyone can see the show um, and making sure people can still donate if they can is really cool. And it's a really good discussion because there's lots of economic reparations happening around in America at the moment. You mentioned your family in Hong Kong. What are they telling you about what's been going on over there? Like it seems to it seems a bit hard to understand and piece it all together. Yeah, um, it's been interesting. My I'm actually I've been getting and also through this process I've been reconnecting to my estranged family. So that's been really interesting because I also made this work as a response to what I've been interested about, which is reconnecting with cousins and uncles and aunties and. Um, my aunt's a very much a very good Catholic, so she does these silent protests that happen in Hong Kong, and all these Catholic women go together. So I hear different angles, um, but mainly it's they're very well organized, so the protesters get to go out in fashion. Or if you feel that you are a, a protester that's unsafe, you don't necessarily have to go to that protest. I think there's a lot of communication, but there's a lot of solidarity right now, and there's an urgency. So I'm grateful for that, and you can see the solidarities everywhere. Nikki Lamb did an exhibition a few weeks ago called Sleep With Summer, where a lot of us Cantonese artists got to go together and just feel like a little support group. So I think it's actually just, you can see the love. Yes, the planet's a bit sick right now, all these different things, but you can feel the love everywhere, which is just really cool. And I can feel the love in this room right now. It's you know, super loving always at 3CR. It is indeed, of course, emerging Yara. It's uh, it's happening real soon. Give us those details. Yeah, the lowdown. So it's October 18th and the 19th. It's at Circus Oz at the Spiegel Tent and at Schoolhouse Studios. If you want to come see me perform at Thrice for the Third Culture Kid, it is on the 18th at 8 and 10 p.m. There's only 20 seats. It's almost sold out. Head to Multicultural Arts Victoria. Just give that a cheeky Google and you'll see a photo of me. I'm nude, but I promise it's tasteful but you'll find me and i hope to see you there at the show awesome stuff jonathan thanks so much for coming into 3cr today thank you for having me been chatting with jonathan holmesy here's c mania
hesitating, celebrating, dominated, infiltrated, devastated, motivated, complicated, perpetrated, hesitating, celebrating, dominated, infiltrated, dominated, 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 motivated, complicated, perpetrated, hesitating, celebrating, dominated, Sarah White is the CEO of Quit Victoria and joins us on the line to talk about a short film competition in collaboration with the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. Sarah, welcome to the program. It's great to have you on board. Thanks for having me. Sarah, tell us about the smoking rates for the LGBTIQ community. I hear it's much higher than, than it is, you know, compared to the average community, the rest of the community. Yeah, that's right. So we think rates in the community are two to three times higher than if you like, the, the general population. And that's uh, dependent on the LBQ women are quite high. And we really need to do something about that. Absolutely. What does the research tell us about why those smoking rates are so high? Is it because of stigma, discrimination, you know, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, yeah. the list goes on? Is, is that why? <laughs> right. Look, I think we still don't really know why. We, Quit has done some formative research with groups of men and women and also a, a trans group. And we heard various things. We heard about being, um, we heard about stigma being a cause of stress, obviously. We also heard that people felt that smoking was part of showing their, their identity and uh, a way of connecting with people. And definitely, I think the big two things that came through were connecting with people and coping with emotions. And some of that, of course, would be those the homophobia, transphobia. So all those factors would make quitting really hard. Going to be more difficult because it's so normalised within the community, and I think this is where we need to get a community response. Quitting itself might not be hard if we've got the whole community supporting people who want to take it on. So it sounds like uh, quitting is kind of going against a cultural grain within certain components of the LGBTIQ community. It sounds like there's a real socialisation around smoking. Yeah, there certainly is, and particularly for younger LGBTIQ people, the, the older group, they could sort of some of those early health effects and we're starting to really think about their smoking in the context of living you know, much healthier lives and longer lives. So tell us about the programs that QUIT has that's specific to the LGBTIQ community. Well, we're working at the moment with Thorn Harbour Health and the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. We've done work with Minus 18 as well. And that was really about trying to start a conversation with community and also really to make sure that 
what we were offering was going to suit the community and serve the community. So what we have done is really do a lot of training with our quitline counsellors. So anyone from the community who calls the quitline is going to get a very inclusive and safe service to speak to when they're trying to address their quitting and coming up with strategies that are going to help them quit. So how do you actually know if you're talking to an LGBTIQ person if they don't say so? Like, tell us a bit more about how your, your counsellors are trained to work with the community. Well, we, yeah, we actually do ask what uh, whether people identify as male or female, whether they identify as a community member. And we've, we've worked with Thorn Harbour Health to, do, to sort of put together this set of questions so we can get an understanding of who's calling us and to be just, I guess, a little more mindful around some of our counselling because typically when we're talking to people, um, sometimes life events will be a something that they look forward to. So, so to avoid sort of saying things like, you know, husband and wife and, and sort of some of those terms that aren't actually going to be too inclusive, we want to avoid that. So it sounds like Quit Victoria in recent years has had a real awakening insofar as working with the LGBTIQ community is concerned and being inclusive and sensitive. Well, I would like to think so, James. I would like to think so. And, and I think I'm I'm kind of proud as the head of QUIT that what we've done is really to, to really talk to the community and work with really great partners who are part of the community to just, you know, make sure we get it right because we really do want to help everybody and we really do want to make sure that um, all members of the LGBTIQ community can come to us and feel safe doing so. So it sounds like the state government's possibly given you some extra funding to work with the LGBTIQ community? They no? haven't. No, no. Um, we should they be? You know, we've just. Oh well, you know, we would never say no to more funding. Who would really? But no, look, we've prioritised the communities within the work that we're doing. We've we've had no qualms and no hesitation in terms of prioritising and redirecting some of the funds that go to sort of more of a general approach across the across Victoria to really making sure that we're reaching the needs of the community. So tell us a bit more about this short film competition. Yeah, so this has been really fun. We ran it for the first time last year. But what we did was we asked young filmmakers to come up with some concepts. We made it a competition. We wanted concepts for a short film. We gave these, um, I think there were four, six groups actually, gave them a little bit of money and said develop up this concept and then we had a public voting session and it ended up we couldn't split the top two. Two short films that were just fantastic about addressing smoking and centred around um, when cigarettes break the vibe so the competition was keep the vibe alive and we had two wonderful short films, really different and we showed them at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, launched them and those two short films ran in front of every single film in the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. So you're doing the same thing again for 2020? We are doing the same thing again. Um, We're going to offer... uh, we're going to ask people to send in submissions. It's Australia-wide now because we had interest from uh, interstate last time. And we're going to award four uh, young filmmakers $6,000 each to develop up a concept. And then there'll be a public voting period again. And we're going to choose a winner. And I'm just hoping for the sake of my budget, just one winner this time. And they'll receive another $6,000 as an, as prize money. And again, we'll be showing the film at the Queer Film Festival. Wow, that sounds incredibly mm-hmm. avant-garde and really, really creative, a great way to come up with a new message that connects with the community. Absolutely. And and in fact, the the theme really is around how people are using smokes to connect and cope and how they could do it without cigarettes. And look, it's such a nice way to try and support some young filmmakers. And, you know, in all honesty, it's 
no one else can talk to the community better than what the community members themselves can. So for us, it's, it's getting material and it's learning and it's having something that we can really work with the community. And it sounds like Spiro and the team at Melbourne Queer Film Festival have really embraced this. They seem pretty pretty chuffed about it. Yeah, oh look, they are terrific. They, they're so much fun to work with. We've really, really enjoyed it. Awesome stuff. So where can people go to get more info? So they can go to the Melbourne Queer Film Festival website or they can go to the Quit website. In fact, it's called quit-flicks, F-L-I-C-K-S. That's the website and they'll find more information there. Good stuff. Sarah, thanks so much for talking to me today on 3CR. Much appreciated. Ah, pleasure, James. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Bye. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.